we're going to continue our um, time together by hearing from uh, the Word of God. Uh, last week, um, Sam uh, brought to us a real encouragement from the book of Acts. We're diving back into our series, To the Ends of the Earth, which we were looking at last year, and we've picked back up um, this term. Uh, and so as we look at the book of Acts, a book which um, records what the very first Christians did when Jesus died, rose again and ascended to heaven, what happened next? That's what the book of Acts records for us. Uh, and so this morning, Dan is going to um, open the word of God uh, and tell us what happens next uh, in the story. So Dan, why don't you come up and just we pray for you um, as we um, begin. Father God, thank you so much uh, for the privilege of hearing from you. Thank you for these truths that we've been reflecting on already this morning, but this truth that we will um, get to encounter now as we um, open up your words, as we engage um, with what you want to say to us through Dan's sermon. So we pray you bless him in the name of Jesus, that you speak through him, and that our hearts will be open to hearing what you want to say. Amen. 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 Good to see you all. Uh, it's always nice when the host kind of sums up the, uh, the act series. So it takes, that's the first two minutes of my sermon done, so I've got a bit more time now. Um, but it's great, great to be with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5 today. If you were here last week, um, you'll remember Sam talked us through the first uh, uh, kind of verses 12 to 26, which is a story where basically everything's going great. There's signs, wonders, miracles, salvation. Then the apostles get arrested and then they get set free by an angel. And then they get arrested again. And that's kind of what we were looking at last week. And we are picking up that part of the story in verse 27 in chapter 5 at the point where they've been re-arrested by the Jerusalem authorities, the most powerful people in the land, and they've been brought in for questioning. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 48. Let's read the word of God together. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, in Jesus' name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him, kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, 
In the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is the word of God. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's a promise that Jesus makes. Lots of promises that Jesus makes his people. Some of them we enjoy. Others of them are a bit less fun, like this one. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus is saying, if, if you're my follower, if you're a faithful follower, then it's going to lead to you suffering because you are a follower of me. It's not the kind of thing we necessarily like to hear, but it's the kind of thing that Jesus warns his disciples about. And uh, in this nation, it might not look like, following Jesus might not look like the kind of thing that leads to being put to death, or even at the moment being put in prison. But it may well mean something like being rejected by your family. And maybe some of you have experienced, you became a Christian and suddenly your family, your non-Christian family have kind of just stood a bit far off. They've been aloof. They've been a bit cold with you. Maybe perhaps if you come from a, a Muslim background and you've made that decision to follow Jesus and you've experienced what it means for your family to actually disown you and say, well, you are no longer our son. You're no longer our daughter. It could be being bullied or mocked at school. If you're a Christian and you are being open about the fact you're a Christian, it could involve being bullied and mocked for what you believe at school. It could be being misunderstood, being called a hateful bigot because of some of the things that you believe. And you're, you're, you're speaking in a loving way, a gentle way to people, but because of some of the things you believe because you follow Jesus, you're misunderstood and called a hateful person. For some, perhaps, teachers, perhaps some of you are teachers here and you've already had to face being asked to teach certain things in your class and thinking that doesn't line up with what Jesus calls me to do and I don't know whether I'm going to be able to keep my job if I obey Jesus in this context. And I think these are realities that I, I think are increasingly going to become more and more prominent, I think, for us in, in this nation. The way this nation is going, the way culture is going, I think increasingly we are going to be misunderstood. Uh, now, I'm not talking about suffering or having opposition because we're being obnoxious and judgmental and horrible. If that is the case, we deserve the opposition. I'm talking about those moments where you gently, lovingly, caringly, but wholeheartedly follow Jesus and you end up facing opposition because of it. And I think that is increasingly going to be the case that we will be misunderstood or cancelled, if you want to use a social media term, or whatever it looks like. And so I think it's important for us to listen to what Jesus has to say because Jesus says this to his disciples, not so they might become depressed, but so that they can be ready when persecution and when opposition does come. So otherwise, it's a little bit like if you're playing a, a sport, let's say rugby, for example, and you don't brace yourself for impact, you end up getting winded. Anyone ever had the experience of being winded? Where you just, I don't know, fall over. It happened to me once, I fell off a swing, nowhere near as impressive as playing rugby. But you just can't breathe for a few seconds. It, it's scary. And the reason you get winded very often is you're not bracing yourself for the impact. And I think Jesus warns his followers so that they're not surprised when suffering does come. The Bible tells us, don't be surprised when the fiery tribulation comes. And I think particularly in this nation where by and large we have enjoyed, compared to the most of the world, by and large have enjoyed a lot of freedom as Christians and have not had to face persecution massively. I think it's important for us to hear this because we may well end up facing more opposition in the future. And I think it's important to be prepared for that. But maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've not given your life to Jesus. If that's you, you're very welcome. We love having uh, guests here who are 
just trying to figure out, okay, what do I believe about all of this? And you might be sitting here thinking, goodness me, this is heavy. Why did I choose this week to come and visit church? Maybe you're the person who invited that friend and you're thinking, oh, why this week? Why the week on suffering? And um, if that's you, we believe that following Jesus is the most wonderful, exhilarating, incredible thing you could do, just as Anne said in her testimony. It changes your life. It genuinely does. But we would be false or we'd be dishonest salesmen if we tried to hide the fact that following Jesus also leads to suffering. And so if we were to say, follow Jesus because everything will be perfect in your life, we'd actually be going against what Jesus himself teaches, which is that there will be things that come as a result of following Jesus, kinds of suffering and opposition that you wouldn't have if you didn't follow him. So it's important that we are honest so that as you're making your mind up thinking, what do I believe about this? Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I not? So that you have a, a realistic view that there's an eternity of joy that awaits you, but you do need to realize it also involves suffering and opposition. And the passage that we read, I think, is really helpful as we think through what does it look like to respond to opposition? What does it look like when those moments of suffering and opposition, because of what we believe and what we do, come? How can we respond? And for those of you who like easy ways of remembering things, uh, got three points, because all sermons have to have three points, and uh, each point is is a word that starts with the letter R, remember, reflect, and respond. And we're going to look at, sorry, rejoice. <laughs> remember, reflect, rejoice. I have no idea, oh yeah, how to respond to suffering. There we go, another, another word with R. <laughs> but the points are remember, reflect, and rejoice. And we're going to look at that. They, they're illustrated in this passage. I think it's really helpful for us to look at this. So number one, remember. The first thing you see the apostles doing, they're dragged before the council. They remember who they really serve. So the high priest says this in verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, in Jesus' name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. So the apostles had been threatened a few chapters before already. Don't preach about Jesus. And Peter responds in verse 29 by saying this. We must obey God rather than men. In other words, he remembered who he truly served. In that moment, it was a little bit like there was a balance, a scales going on, hence the picture of scales on the, uh, on the screen. You've got the Jerusalem authorities. They are the most powerful people in Jerusalem. They have the right to throw you in prison or worse if you don't obey them. So they're very powerful people. Now, that might be, I don't know, the, the equivalent of putting a massive truck in the scales. That looks impressive. And it would be quite easy for the disciples to be intimidated and think, well, maybe we should just tone it down a bit. Maybe we should, maybe, yeah, okay, we'll preach Jesus a little bit less. We'll talk to Jesus, to, about Jesus to people who already know him, but we won't share the gospel beyond that. Is that okay? But they realize that on the other side of the scales is the authority of the one who they truly serve. And a truck looks heavy until you put a cruise liner on the other side of the scales. And they suddenly realized, wait a minute, we aren't answerable to you ultimately. Although you are the highest human authority within our nation, we're answerable to the ultimate authority of God. And so Peter reminds himself and says, we must obey God rather than men. And in moments of opposition, when the rubber hits the road, one of our weapons is to remind ourselves who we truly serve. Because opposition looks scary when it comes, particularly when it comes from someone who's in a position of authority. And as Christians, we do believe that we are met, God tells us that we are generally meant to obey those in authority. But there are moments when those in authority ask us to do something or to stop doing something that Jesus commands us not to do or to do. And in that moment, we need to remember the balance is tipped in favor of God. 
the cruise liner outweighs the truck. And it's important when we face those moments to, to have kind of made our mind up in advance to say, I must obey God rather than men. But there's a wonderful promise in the midst of this. This isn't just, a, all right, I need to make my mind up, I'm going to obey God rather than men. It's that the Holy Spirit helps us in that moment. You notice, verse 32, Peter says, we are witnesses to these things. He's just spoken about all of the things that he's witnessed. He said, like, guys, we kind of have to speak about this. We've seen Jesus raised from the dead. We've seen him pour the Holy Spirit. Like, we can't not talk about it. And he finishes by saying, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter realizes in that moment that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who obey Jesus. Now that kind of, when, when Peter's saying that, he means all Christians, because by definition, a Christian is someone who has decided, right, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm turning from my old life. And so he's saying, guys, ironically, it's us rather than you that God has given the Holy Spirit to. He's given the Holy Spirit to those who obey him, not who obey man. But I think it's also wonderful that through our acts, you look and God gives the help of the Holy Spirit in moments where the church needs the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him. And so in that moment where your boss asks you to tell a white lie so that your clients might end up thinking better of your company and you have that decision, do I obey God or do I obey men? And you decide I'm gonna obey God, the Holy Spirit helps you in that moment. If you're at school and you think, I'm being shamed in front of my class for being a Christian. Do I deny Jesus or do I continue? And you choose, I'm going to continue to follow him. You'll find the Holy Spirit is given to you in that time to, be able, to enable you to continue to obey him. It's wonderful. Have you, have you found that very often it's in those moments where we step out in boldness that we find that God's there, the Holy Spirit is there to help us? Very often it's in that moment. It's not necessarily that you feel hugely emboldened before the moment of obedience and you go, yes, the Holy Spirit has filled me, I'm going to do it. Very often it's in the moment of obedience that you find God brings help. And so it's important to remember that. We need to remember who we serve, but we don't do that in our own power. We do that in the power that he gives. It's wonderful news. So we remember who we serve. We reflect on who God is. That's the second lesson I think we can learn from this passage. And this isn't something that the apostles do here, actually. I mean, they do do it elsewhere, but it, it's actually one of the apostles' opponents that ends up reflecting on who God is, interestingly. We get, so the, the high priest and the council want to kill the apostles. They're like, we need to kill them. And there's a man called Gamaliel, who's a respected Jewish teacher, and he, he thinks, I need to defuse this tension. Uh, this is going to go crazy and not going to lead anywhere good. And so he says, put the, guy, put, put the apostles out for a minute, and he has a chat with the council and he says, guys, do you remember that within our lifetime, we've had a number of people, a bit like Jesus, who have claimed to be someone important and they've had loads of followers. We've had a guy called Thudas. Do you remember him? Do you remember this guy called Judas the Galilean? We've had a number of people like Jesus who claimed to be someone important. Every time they died, eventually their followers just dispersed. And so what Gamaliel sums it up as is this in verse 38 to 39 he's trying to he's trying to kind of calm the council down and basically say guys don't panic we've seen this happen a number of times and it ended up just fizzling out eventually and he says verse 38 if this plan or this undertaking is of man it will fail in other words don't worry guys if if this isn't from god if this is from man it's going to fizzle out you won't have to worry about it but if it is of god you will not be able to overthrow them you might even be found opposing God. And so ironically, Gamaliel, who is one of the opponents of the apostles, 
actually gives us a really helpful lesson in times of opposition. That if a plan is of God, we, no one is able to overthrow it. And the reason Gamaliel is able to say that is he knew his Bible. He knew numbers of stories from the Old Testament where human plans fail, but God's plans always work. And that's a helpful lesson for us. When we face opposition, to remind ourselves of reflect on who God is. So in those moments where, and, and by the way, this, when, when we're talking about God's plans, we're talking about his plans, not ours. We're talking about the things that God tells us in the word. These are things that followers of Jesus should be doing. These are things that they should not be doing even when they're told to. We're talking about his big plans. Yes, there are moments, which I'm sure many, many of us have, where God speaks to us prophetically. And I think it's really important in those moments to weigh it, to, to speak to other believers, to pray it through and say, okay, is this you speaking, God? But there are also clear moments where it's like, well, this is, like, this is obvious. I can't do that and be a follower of Jesus. I must do that if I am a follower of Jesus. God has revealed this in his words. And if that is part of his plan, it can't fail because it's God's plan and God's purposes. You see, Gamaliel, although he was an opponent of the apostles, he knew his Bible and he knew passages like Isaiah 40, verses seven to eight. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Human plans, however impressive, are like grass. They may last a lifetime. They may last a few centuries. But ultimately it withers compared to the purposes and the plans of God, which stand forever. And that's an encouragement when we know that we are carrying out the purposes of God to remind ourselves nothing can ultimately stop him. He knew passages like Job 42, verses 1 to 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God never has to go for plan B. Did you know that? God doesn't have to go for plan B. It's not like in that moment where the apostles are arrested, God is panicking in heaven going, angels, which one of you did the risk assessment? Which one of you decided, where's the flow chart? What happens if the apostles are arrested? How are we, oh gosh, that's all 12 of them as well. What are we going to do if they stay in prison? That The gospel's not going to get out to all nations. God's never had to ask for plan B because God's purposes always happen. To use a passage that Gamaliel wouldn't know because it's in the New Testament, he works all things, Ephesians 1, he works all things together according to the counsel of his will. If God wants something done, it will get done. And it's important to remind ourselves of that in moments of opposition, to use that as ammunition, to say, I'm going to reflect on who God is. And in this moment where this very scary opposition is coming, I know that even if it costs me my life, it won't stop God's purposes. In that moment where I'm facing that difficult decision at work, that I'm thinking, this might cost me my job, even if it costs me my job, I know that's not going to stop God's purposes. And it's so important to remind ourselves of that. And that involves meditating on, reflecting on, prayerfully reading the scriptures so that we can understand who God truly is can I encourage you when you're reading the Bible for yourself well one can I encourage you read the Bible for yourself but when you're reading the Bible for yourself can I encourage you ask yourself what does this tell me about God what does this tell me about him we live in such an individualistic society and it's really easy to read the Bible as if it was ultimately about us it's about him it's about who he is it's about what he's done and how we amazingly get to play our part in his big purposes So can I encourage you, when you're reading the Bible, reflect, think, what does this tell me about who God is? 
And you'll find that as you do that, it brings boldness, it brings courage in those moments of opposition because you're remembering whatever happens to me, God's purposes are on track. And oddly, God seems to very often work through opposition. It's just, it's amazing, you can't defeat him. It's like, well, if the church isn't being opposed and they're doing their job, the plan's going according to plan. If the church faced persecution, I'm gonna work through the persecution in order to lead to my plans happening. You see that happen in Acts. In a number of weeks, we're gonna look at the, uh, a massive persecution starting. What happened as a result of it? The gospel went beyond Jerusalem. Like God works out his purposes in all moments. However painful they are to us, we can be confident. So we remember who we serve, we reflect on who God is. And finally, and this is really surprising, counterintuitive, not the one you'd expect to be, we rejoice. We rejoice in our opposition. You can find this in verses 40 to 41. It's, it's amazing. Listen to this. When they had called in the apostles, when the council had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is amazing. They've just been brought in. So Gamaliel's kind of done his little calming down exercise. So they're brought back in. But instead of just being let off scot-free, they're beaten and then they're told, don't preach in the name of Jesus and then they're set free. And they leave rejoicing. Rejoicing that they've been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. I think, how would I respond if this happened to me? I've just been chucked in prison unjustly. I've been beaten. I've been told, don't tell anyone about Jesus again. And then they let me free. I'm probably more likely to go home, sulk a bit, feel sorry for myself. And then maybe think, all right, okay, what's a way that I can serve Jesus without having to do the thing they've told me not to do? But what they do is they rejoice. They rejoice in the moment of suffering. How do they do that? How is it that they do that? Well, there's a number of reasons, one being the Holy Spirit being given to them. But I think one of the reasons is they'd spent three years with Jesus. They'd heard Jesus say something like this. Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus had told them persecution is gonna come and when it comes, don't start panicking. Don't start thinking, ah, the plan's not going, not happening. What are we gonna do? Instead, you can rejoice. You can rejoice because I'd warned you about this. And so when you're preaching the good news and you get opposition, rather than going, ah, it's not going according to plan, you can go, it must be going according to plan because I'm facing opposition just the way Jesus said I would. And more than that, you can rejoice because you know that suffering for genuinely following Jesus. Again, don't hear suffering for being judgmental or obnoxious. Suffering for genuinely following Jesus is proof of the fact that we have a reward that awaits us in the age to come. And so in that moment, the disciples aren't going, we love suffering, oh, please beat us some more. We really, like, really enjoyed that. They're not rejoicing about the suffering, they're rejoicing about the fact they know they're doing the right thing and they know that a massive reward awaits them in the age to come. And I think this is one of those things that I need to grow in and I think as a, as a nation and as a church in the West in general, I think increasingly as we face more and more misunderstanding and rejection or so on for the gospel is learning what it is to rejoice in suffering, to rejoice in those moments of, of, of difficulty. 
so that we're both able to rejoice in those moments where we say, I preached the gospel and five of my friends responded and we're able to cheer, but we're also able to rejoice in those moments where we say, I shared the gospel at work and everyone said they're never gonna talk to me again and I got threatened with losing my job by my boss. But I'm rejoicing in that because I know that I've got a great reward in the age to come. And I think there's something for us to learn. There's a muscle for us to develop that we've probably not had to develop that much because in God's grace, we have not faced that much suffering, really, for following Jesus as a nation. But I think there's something that we do want to make sure that we're learning. What does it look like to rejoice in suffering? So we can face opposition for Jesus with rejoicing so that we can... Hear Jesus' words applied to us. Blessed are you when others make fun of you for being a Christian and falsely accuse you of being hateful and you lose your job on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why, because it's fun? No, because your reward in heaven is great. Let's be, a, let's be a church, let's be a people that along with Paul are able to say this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. But again, to use the scales illustration earlier, that when we're looking at the scales, this life looks like, might look like a big thing. But in contrast to an eternity of ultimate infinite joy, we go, well, there's no question. Of course I'd prefer to suffer momentarily in this life for the sake of the infinite reward of having been faithful to Jesus. And um, I think for me, this is something I really want to learn to grow in. So I think for many of us here, for myself, particularly the the last two years have been the most difficult years of my life. And I'm sure for various reasons that we all share, that will be the case for a number of people here as well. And I think I've probably grown in being able to be honest about how I'm feeling. Being able to say, you know what, this actually really sucks. And I'm able to admit that and not just kind of super spiritualize everything. But I think one area I want to grow, and I felt convicted as, as I was preparing this, is learning to rejoice in the midst of that. And the way we have broadly suffered in this season has not mainly been because of opposition, because we're followers of Jesus. I realize that. But nonetheless, there's something biblically about learning what it is to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings, whether that is for a, the op- as a result of opposition or whether that's just because of the circumstances that life throws our way. The New Testament encourages us, rejoice. we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that God is at work even in the midst of the sufferings. Because we know that there's an eternity, a weight of eternity to come that makes those sufferings seem actually in the grand scheme of things like a light momentary affliction. I mean, the guy who wrote this, Paul, is a guy who was shipwrecked multiple times, beaten, whipped multiple times, imprisoned multiple times, homeless multiple times, and he calls that a slight momentary affliction. That's not Paul saying, ah, you know what, it wasn't that bad. That's not Paul lying. It's Paul saying, in light of eternity, it's a slight momentary affliction. And I, w- I want to grow in that. I want to learn that. And you see what the joy leads to in verse 42. They rejoice for having suffered dishonor for the name. And then they go and they basically do every single thing that the council has told them you must not do. In their joy, they joyfully disobey the authorities that had told them to disobey Jesus. It's like... They don't go back home, rally the troops and say, right, okay, well, we should probably maybe rethink our strategy a little bit here. We've obviously provoked... No, they go and they're like, you know what? We've been told to do this. Yes, we've got to suffer for the name. That shows us we've got an eternal reward, but we need to keep going. And the Holy Spirit, the joy that the Holy Spirit brings fueled them into continuing to obey Jesus despite the persecution. Don't you want to be a church that does that? 
That doesn't look glamorous or pretty when it happens. But it's, I'll tell you what, it's reaping a wonderful reward in the age to come. I'd love us to be a church. I would love to be an individual like that. I'd love us to be a church that is able to do that. And so what I'd love to do is um, I'd love to pray for us as we, as we end. Um, and so maybe we can, maybe we can stand if, uh, if you're able. But I, I'd particularly love to pray for, I, I realise that I've mainly been speaking of suffering as a result of following Jesus. Um, but I, what I don't want to do is discount those who are going through suffering at the moment that isn't necessarily a result of following Jesus. So I'd love us to spend a few minutes to praying for one another that God would meet us in the midst of our suffering. And so I just wonder if there may be some people here who right now in, at the moment are going through a particularly difficult time for whatever reason that is. Um, and if that's you, I'd love to get some people around you to be praying for you. And so if you, if you feel like you'd feel confident to, if that's you and you just feel, I'm going through a really tough time at the moment, I'd just love someone to pray for me. I don't, don't feel like I need to share all of it. I just would love someone to pray for me. Would you be able to put your hand up and we'll look to get people round okay so a few a few hands right well done well done for responding um if that's you if you could leave your hand up until some people gather around you so if uh, people who are nearby these wonderful brothers and sisters if you could gather around and uh, just spend a moment praying for them so if they're wearing a green lanyard i'm sure you can put put hands on them if they're not wearing a green lanyard maybe ask them before but let's respect one another's um, preferences on this front. And um, I'll give you guys a few minutes to pray. Don't necessarily ask for details for the situation. This is, this is a moment to pray blessing that they would know God's presence. So I'll give, a, give you guys a few minutes and then I'll wrap up in prayer um, in a few minutes. Father, I thank you that the living as a Christian is a, is a miracle. There is no natural way or no natural reason that we would rejoice in the midst of suffering. I thank you that your Holy Spirit enables us to do that. And uh, it doesn't mean for a minute that we discount suffering. It doesn't mean for a minute that we trivialize it, that we minimize it, that we say, oh, it doesn't really hurt. It's not that bad. No, no, no. We want to be honest. We want to be open. We want to be raw. We want to be vulnerable. But we do also want to hold you to your word, Lord, that you tell us that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. And so, Father, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters in this room, dear brothers and sisters on Zoom who, uh, who may have put their hands up as well but don't necessarily have people physically around them to, to pray for them. Lord, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters that they would know, they would know the love of Christ right in the midst of these difficulties. They would know the love of Jesus in the midst of their suffering. They would know the truth, uh, the truth that, uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither tribulation, nor death, nor nakedness, or persecution, nor famine, nor danger, nor swords can separate us from the love of Christ. We thank you, Father, for that truth. We thank you, Father, for the eternal weight of glory. The eternal weight of glory. And Father, I pray that, there, that you would increase that sense of weightiness about that, Lord God. We Lord, it, is, it can be so tempting to be so this, this life-minded. And Father, we thank you that you call us to be eternally minded so that actually we can live life to the full in this life. That we live life to the full in this life because we know there's an eternity that awaits us. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of, uh, of our brothers and sisters. I thank you for the way that many of these brothers and sisters will have gone through decades 
of walking with you, of knowing you, of facing difficulties with you. And Father, I pray in this moment that you would help them to know your comfort. You'd help them to know your strength. You would help them to remember who they serve, whether they're facing suffering because of opposition or because of circumstances. They'd help us remember who we serve. You'd help them reflect on who God is. Help them to know the character of God in this moment. The character of God, their almighty Father. I pray that they would rejoice in the midst of this. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to rejoice in the midst of whatever circumstances we go through. Father, we pray for these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Can I encourage you, if you um, responded, or, or perhaps even if you didn't, you perhaps in that moment didn't necessarily feel the confidence to put your hand up, but you are part of a, a life group, can I encourage you to think of ways that you can share some of that with your life group? Not not just for the sake of sharing, but so that you can know that others are walking alongside you. I'm stru- I was struck earlier by the fact that this is the 12 apostles arrested all in one go. Like they're, they're together in this. And I think it's important to remember we are together in this. None of us suffers alone. None of us needs to suffer alone. And it's so important to remember that. So if you're in a life group, I'd really encourage you to, to share that. If you're not in a life group, why don't you join a life group and then you can uh, look to share that as well. But God bless you. And uh, I'm gonna hand back over to Luke to finish.